Welcome to Rising Titans with Andy Weiss, a podcast that hones in on the process of achieving greatness. In each episode, we sit down with the rising titan of industry and learn about their path to success thus far. We always remind our listeners to keep in mind that it's not about the end result, it's about the journey. In this special episode, we're talking about everyone's favorite subject, dogs. Sitting in with us is Maya Haber, founder and CEO of Barkville LLC. Days after celebrating Barkville's two-year anniversary, Maya will share with us how her passion for dogs led her to walking away from a stable job to build a dog walking and training company that she has today. Welcome, Maya, and uh, also uh, to note that uh, you are, are the sister of one Johnny Haber, our last podcast guest, so thank you for joining us. How are you I'm today? very honored. I, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, big shout out to my brother for uh, suggesting me to join your podcast, so thank you yeah. so much for uh, allowing me to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad because you know, your, your brother always talks very fondly about you, of course, and, and uh, but but your your business in particular, which he says uh, you have you've really built up a, a pretty amazing amazing business. Um, and so you know, I, generally I, I ask people to kind of start off with just like a little bit of brief background about themselves, you know, where they're from, and and kind of what the 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 start of the journey, call it, uh, to where you are today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So like, um, if you listen to my brother's podcast, podcast before, uh, you know that we grew up in Tenafly, New Jersey, um, cute little town uh, in Bergen County. And uh, we eventually, my parents eventually split and now they're in Fort Lee. So now we, my parents reside in Fort Lee and I live in the city. And um, my journey really started in Tenafly, I guess, when I was I was a kid. I was just so fascinated with animals. Um, that was something I was, that was something that I was, animals were always something that were, I felt like were a part of me. Um, growing up when I was a kid, I watched a ton of Steve Irwin, ton of Animal Planet, you know, when the, um, I don't know if you remember like National Geographic when the Scholastic National Geographic magazines company like came to your school. I always yeah. got like this. Yeah. Do you remember those? Like N those little nostalgia. Scholastic. That's nostalgia. Yeah, right. right? I, they had the I, catalogs. Oh my God. I loved yeah. the zoology yeah. section of those magazines. I used to read those cover to cover. Um, we probably wouldn't have yeah, been friends, but was... you know. <laughs> what was that? I said, we, we probably wouldn't have been friends, but no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I know, I was super dorky. I was like a way, I was like way into animals when I was a kid. Um, and Everyone, everyone's out, got their, lovely. everyone's got their thing, you know. Everyone's like, got their thing. So um, animals, yeah, animals were my thing. I just, um, what I really always loved about having or watching relationships with animals is that it was so honest you know you can fake relationship with any kind of person out there but you can't fake relationships with animals because mm. they're the closest thing to mother nature that we have interactions with that are part of our lives each and every single day and you just can't fake relationships like that because dogs will know if they don't like you they always say you know in like the dog world they always say like oh dogs know dog people and it's true because they can sense if you're like not super comfortable with them. They can sense if you're not really into their presence. And I just always loved that authentic relationship. And I also loved watching people come together to preserve 
that relationship, whether it would be from a wildlife standpoint and conservation, whether it be from a shelter standpoint of caring dog for dogs in shelters or, you know, taking animals off the streets. And um, I just always loved watching and growing up with that. And it's kind of ironic because I wasn't allowed to have dogs. I wasn't allowed to have any pet. I was trusted with a goldfish and a newt. Um, a newt. We ended up, yeah, my, it's actually kind of funny because my dad ended up buying the wrong newt food for our animals. I, isn't this really interesting? He bought the wrong newt food for our animals, so, for our newts. So every week our newts were dying. We had no idea why. Oh my God, I hope no one like judges me for this. I'm not, I'm not going to tell PETA. Yeah, we had no idea why our newts kept dying. It was so ironic. Like we accidentally were killing them because we were feeding them the wrong Awkward. food. Awkward. Um, but yeah. So you, so you, you have this love of, of like animals growing up and then, you know, were you, were you like, I'm going to work with animals one day? Like when you went to college, were you thinking to yourself, I'm going to be a, Never. like, I'm going to major in zoology? Nowhere close to that. Okay. Literally studied nothing close to that. Um, I grew up without a dog, wanted a dog. My mom was terrified of dogs because she grew up in, you know, in in China and communist China nonetheless you know there's massive amounts of poverty there massive amounts of feral animals around her it wasn't really a safe um way to approach stray dogs in her space um and I don't blame her for having for having that fear manifest in her by the time she came here and you know she sees like all these dogs like on leash and she's like why does everyone have these stray things yeah. living <laughs> in their house <laughs> Um, but nevertheless, you know, it's, it's so funny. And she's like now the biggest fan of my dog. Um, it's so cute. They're so cute together. But yeah, so by the time I was like in high school, that's when, um, things kind of changed for me. I was going through a really tough time in high school with, I was having like relationship problems. I was having problems with my family. My parents were in the process of like discovering that they may want to be divorced. Um, and on top of that, like Johnny, my brother was going to college and I'm not sure who suggested it, but I'm pretty sure it was Johnny. My aunt Lynn said it was her <laughs> saying that they was their idea to get the dog. Nevertheless, shout out to whoever got Lukey, my dog into my life. Um, we got him at eight weeks old, knew nothing, knew absolutely nothing about dog training, knew absolutely nothing about caring for a dog. My dad had a dog when he was a kid, um, which was like 40 years ago. And this dog, he like literally picked up the street and just made it his own. Um, and the dog was apparently terribly behaved. Um, so we didn't really have a strong start. Um, but nevertheless, we got through puppyhood. I was you know, at that point I had learned, I loved being a pet owner. Um, but things really pivoted for me. I still didn't know that this was a career path, but, um, things really pivoted for me when I went to college, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Fiji. Um, and for people who don't know anything about Fiji, I mean, besides the fact that it's a beautiful resort, um, it's a beautiful place to go vacationing. Uh, it's actually incredibly impoverished. Um, and there is just, there's no spay and neuter system for stray animals there. So there's kind of strays just like running everywhere. And um, it gave me a completely different understanding of how dogs are perceived in the world. Um, some dogs were really well taken care of, you know, were, I met, I met my boyfriend on this trip and, you know, when, um, 
when I met Matt, we were both just like fascinated with the dogs. We just loved feeding them and they were mm -hmm. so smart. They just knew if they stood next to us and gave us their little puppy dog eyes, we would just like be feeding them. I was such a sucker for it. And anywhere we went, we just always sought out dogs and we saw dogs in all different kinds of environments. You know, some hostels we stayed at, like this one hostel we stayed at, this couple literally bought this estate and just whatever dogs wandered on the property, they just took them in. They had 17 animals, dogs wow. and cats, you know, and they really took care of them. They spayed, they neutered them. That's a super uncommon thing if you're living in like rural Fiji in the mountains. Like it's just not oh. something you think that you would experience or see, but that's what they did with their animals. And then there were some places um, we went to that, you know, villages would care for dogs and then I unfortunately went to some islands um, where some dogs were just like poisoned um, wow. just because they were running a nuisance and I didn't matter what state they were in, whether they were being cared for, whether they were not being cared for. Matt and I just always went out to go get food. If dogs were like, did you, did you guys actually us. do any studying on your study abroad? Oh, <laughs> it was very... So I would say we did a lot of life work. <laughs> we got a lot of life like experiences out of it. And um, you know, it, it sounds like uh, in, in the long term, it kind of paid off being you do what you do now. Um, oh, yeah. It paid off in both ways. I got an amazing guy. I've been with him for six years. Um, and I got an amazing, I got an amazing understanding of what my real abilities were in terms of like dealing with dogs. So a lot of people don't really take into consideration like how dogs are going to be receiving your approach so like I always knew from my own dog and from like approaching dogs like when I was looking in the shelter when we were looking for dogs like I always knew like when I was approaching a stray animal you never ever just like approach them you always have to present your hand you know you I watched Caesar Milan I always knew no touch no no talk, no eye contact. You kind mm. of present your body in an angle. You present the hand and you present the hand palm up, like face out, like, and you present it under the muzzle. Huh. Let them sniff. If they keep their head there, then that means it's okay to pet them. If they do not want to be pet, they will remove their head and they'll just kind of look the other way. You know, you, it's, it's interesting, yeah. like when you're, when you're saying that, and, it, you know, kind of throughout what you've been saying, I almost think of, like the way you're describing dogs, similar to like that pure essence of them, like similar to, to newborns and, and babies and young kids who, who, you know, all they, they, they don't have an intellectual capacity yet. So they have that same kind of feeling towards people, you know, like they, they have a sixth sense almost of like, is this a genuine interaction? Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, I think the best way to see it is like, what is a formal approach versus an informal approach? You know, if you're meeting a new person for the first time, you're not gonna be like, hey, how are you? Get right in their face and be like, my name is Maya, what's your name? Can I give you a hug? And people are gonna be like, whoa. That's probably that why hug. no one is willing to talk to me because that's generally how I approach it. <laughs> oh no. Well, maybe we can set up a training to support you with that. You know, I, I, I think, I'm, I'm serious though. Like I actually think they're, you know, listening to you, I think there's, there's some kind of business there in terms of coaching people on how to interact with people, especially like, you know, a lot of people want to learn how to network. You know, I get asked all the time, like, you know, where, how should I network? Where should I network? But, but I think the, yeah. the how to is, is actually very important. Like you're saying, it's like, there's, there's protocol and, and there's certain 
tried and, and trusted ways of approaching people for certain things. Um, and, you know, it's not always about being in person and approaching someone from a direct angle as opposed to a, a side angle, you know, it's just in the way you Absolutely. ask someone to do something. Um, so you know, maybe Absolutely. a potential business idea for you, Maya. <laughs> ah, there we go. Starting new stuff every day. I yeah, love yeah. it. Maybe we'll form a JV um, and, uh, you know, we'll raise some money and, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll donate that money to the Ernie Irish shelter that we love. I like that. That's, I like that, that is, too. that's a great business model. Um, I love it. I love so, it. <laughs> so so you, you kind of just like, it seems like throughout your life, you've been discovering your passion for, for dogs. And, you know, you said you didn't study anything animal related in college, you know, ha- or like, business I guess, related or business related. That's amazing. Also, <laughs> now you have a business for animals. <laughs> Like how did, how did, how did you ultimately, you know, come from, from college, like to where you are now? Like what, what, what are the steps that are getting you there? I actually, you know, it was one of those things where by the time I had met, so like I came home from Fiji, I had still maintained my relationship with Matt. Um, and then after Fiji, I went to a shelter, worked at a shelter, got so much experience dealing with like, Again, while you're, while you're in school? S- yes, while I was in school. You're volunteering, um, you're volunteering at a shelter? I was volunteering. I was, yeah, I was working um, in South Kingston Animal Shelter just down the road from the University of Rhode Island, which is where I went to school. Um, and I was studying like communications, ma- I was a communications major. So, you know, nothing related to like animal care. But, you know, I just saw an opportunity to volunteer. And after my Fijian experience, I just like, wanted to immerse myself into like nurturing, caring for dogs. Like it was just, you know, seeing like, again, like some dogs just like died in front of me and it was strictly because people were just poisoning them. And that experience really impacted me to want to do something, make a difference. So I volunteered Mm. for the shelter, dealt with a lot of dogs who were, oh my God, the worst day, some guy just came in, put his dog on the floor and he left and he just saw his dog running after him like where are you going and it just it broke my heart it really broke my heart and I just I really felt for these animals and it just gave me such a purpose and still then again like at the University of Rhode Island like we didn't have a big animal behavior program we had a vet program so if you really wanted to go into animal care you were really looking at like um, agricultural animal care Um, so like a lot of farm work Um, or you can be a vet, um, or you can do like breeding or things like that. But that was really, it was very science and math oriented. I'm a comm major. So I stayed very far away from that, but nevertheless, you know, yeah, this, like the dog thing was an animal care was just kind of like a hobby. Um, at the time when I was in school, I was actually doing fundraising and considering I met Matt, Fundraising for like literally anything. At the time, I was fundraising for my university. So I was that great person calling you after graduating. Like, hey, I know you graduated six years ago, but you had an awesome experience. I know you want to donate $300 to the, I don't know, basketball league or whatever. You were terrible at basketball. Um, So it was like one of those, like that's, I did that for two years and I was like, oh, this is like doable. I'm a communications major. And there was a lot of things I liked about my university. I loved talking about my study abroad program. So as a comm major, these things kind of naturally fit. And by the time I was getting ready to graduate from college, there was an immediate 
um, desire to one, be with Matt, to be financially independent. So I said, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job. Here, what can I do with my time in school? Okay, Animal was like, again, it was a hobby. It's not something you would consider to be a job because it wasn't yeah. exposed to me as a job. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm going to do fundraising. I know a little bit of grant writing. I'm 21 years old. I can do this. Like I could definitely, and I looked into like how much grant writers get paid. I looked into how much fundraising positions are paid. And I was like, oh, this is like a real thing. Like I can do this and make a really great living. Matt will come here and he'll move to New York city with me from Indiana. That's where he went to school. Um, and we'll be together and it'll be awesome. So I went and graduated college and I started my search. Um, in the meantime, I did dog walking. I started dog walking this one dog in my building. He was a big old husky named Ralph. He was delicious. I love that dog. He's Great amazing. name for a dog. He's, oh my God. He's <laughs> belonged to this little Russian family and they're just like Rolf. That's Rolf. his name. And I was nice. so cute. I loved That's it. Awesome. Um, yeah, he's actually still, in, he's in Florida right now. I love him. But anyways, so yeah, I just started doing like simple jobs like that just to like make some sort of money for myself. Um, landed like some side gigs for like freelance fundraising for small organizations and like a little bit of grant writing here and there, just like supporting some people doing grant writing projects, nothing like really big. And then like the perfect opportunity came or like my, I, what I thought was to be my perfect job came. I was, you know, huh. fine. I found this little small nonprofit. Um, it was a Jewish, you know, Israeli advocacy organization that really thrived off of social media, social media that kind of gave a bigger scope to what Israel was. And they had a dog campaign that happened. So I was like, oh my God, this is wow. so cool. I get to talk about this. What an opportunity. Went in, met my boss or, you know, um, Julia, she was like interviewing me, met my boss. Um, and we hit it off right away, got the job or got an internship to the job few weeks later um and i just started working doing like an internship in fundraising and grant writing for this huh. little israeli uh nonprofit organization and it was super cool it was like super hip super trendy very much my vibe i loved my boss she was like a new mom i was helping her prepare for like she was basically in new york to launch uh, a branch of the organization that actually resided in Israel, but she was starting a New York branch here for her boss in Israel. And I was coming along to support her, but she was getting ready for her maternity leave. And so I was basically there supporting her. We had a great relationship. Things were going well. There were still things I wasn't super confident in, in my fundraising mm -hmm. abilities. And then um, I don't, exactly know why um but they offered me my job early like nice. earlier than i expected to do i'm not sure what they saw in me to be totally honest but they offered okay. me a job early so i was like all right We're let's in. go to new york matt you're coming here with me got this little dinky apartment and we are still there today <laughs> and wow. very happy but yeah so um, the dog walking and, you know, I did a little extra like dog care, um, a little bit of dog training, like unofficial dog training, overnight care for like dogs in my neighborhood. So I saved enough money to move there and then have a stable job there. Life was looking 
absolutely perfect. And then I started my job <laughs> um, because I realized uh, about like six, six months in, I wasn't very good at my job. I wasn't really good at this organization made itself sound a lot smaller and a lot more underdeveloped than it really was. It was a real deal organization and they were dealing with like real money and real foundations that, um, you know, the grants were no joke. I stayed up so many nights getting like staying up like way into the night trying to fix things. I was so stressed out because I was doing things wrong all the time. And even huh. though I was putting my entire heart and body and mind and soul into this, like I just couldn't understand why the effort I was making was not translating to supporting my boss in the way that she needed me to be. And mm -hmm. I used to like, I was so depressed. Um, I really hit a point where every morning I was waking up and I was like, oh God, so how, I'm so not. How long were you in this job for? I would say for about a year. A year. For about a year. I did six months unpaid, six months oh. I was like officially working with them. And, and did you, you did know, you leave your job? It was like, okay, I just So this leave. is the funny part. <laughs> um I had a few really bad moments. Um that and there was a point where I was really considering, am I really doing more of a disservice? Mm -hmm to these people that I actually have a great deal of respect for, but the truth is, am I doing a disservice to them? And then finally I messed up so badly on a grant. Um, and I had also messed up by accidentally like offending a board member and it was a really big mistake and I felt horrible about it. And they, you know, I knew that, following Monday, it was a Friday when this all happened and I was in such a bad position and I really felt it. And, um, but I knew the following Monday I was going to be fired. Like I just felt that like in my, in the pit of my stomach. And I said, okay, what am I going to do? My boss is definitely going to yell at me and it's definitely going to hurt. And I'm definitely not going to have a job. And what am I going to do? I just committed to this apartment. I just told this partner of mine who, who is still looking for his passion, you know, that I got us, I got us covered. And here it is blowing up in my face. I couldn't even look at myself. Um, so Monday morning, she's like, Hey, let's sit down and have a chat. And what I really got present to, she literally, she yelled at me. She yelled at me pretty harshly. And I listened to every single bit that she said. And she was right. She was dead on hmm. in the sense where she was saying, like, You're, you don't know how to do basic things, like small things that I asked of you. And I can't believe you've made this mistake and this mistake and this mistake, blah, 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 blah. And she was right. I wasn't prepared for this job. I wasn't the right fit for this job. It wasn't something I was putting, I wasn't passionate about it anymore because I realized I wasn't skilled enough to actually do it. And um, it was just, you know, at that point I was already in the city and I saw all these dog walkers. I was like, maybe this is something I should like, maybe this is something that's actually more interesting than this job. So <laughs> I was I, like, I would, I would already... like to highlight though, because I think it's it's valuable. Just like 
you know, it's a very, you, you were 22 at the time, if my math is, is correct. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think it's a very mature outlook to, to, and just mature in general, to be able to, to take ridicule like that uh, and, and really just understand, like, you know, a lot of people get defensive and when they do something wrong, it's like, oh, no, 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 this, it wasn't my fault, this, that, like, it seems like you accepted, to, like, it, internally beforehand, like, I messed up, I'm at fault here, um, which is, which is pretty amazing for, for a 22 year old, I, I think. And I mean, frankly, for, for any age, but I, I think thank it shows you. pretty, so kudos to you. That's yeah, I'm, thank you. I appreciate that. I think, yeah, I, I just think it would have been disingenuous to say, oh, I tried my best. I think it would have been destructive if I tried to defend myself. I was clearly not doing this for the right reasons. I didn't, I wasn't passionate about it the way that I thought I was. I wasn't good at it the way that I thought it was. I was hurting people I cared about. Like I really loved my boss. You know, she really gave me every opportunity to fix my mistakes and she would cover for me. And, mm -hmm. But again, it's like, at what point are you causing someone a disservice by, huh. you know, kind of not owning up to your actions or taking responsibility for, you know, the problems you're creating. So it was like, it was just, honestly, it was a lot easier for her to do everything because she was so skilled. And that was also something that I think she did not realize about herself. She was actually, I, you know, when she approached, or when we approached each other in the interview and when she was telling me about the organization, she made it sound like it was a small organization. It's just going to be me and her working together. You know, I read about her experience, but, you know, then I learned what 10 years of experience really looks like. <laughs> she was much more qualified and she, I don't think she really realized that about herself. And I pointed out to her, I said, you know, the things that you anticipate me to do for you, I think you might be forgetting that you're actually considered an expert now. And she, because when I made mistakes, she would always go back to, oh, I made this mistake. I made that mistake. She'd always try to like reassure me that this is something that happens. It's okay. This is part of growing. And yet when that conversation of me being fired slash leaving happened, she, I really highlighted to her who she really was as a boss. And I knew that she did the best that she could to nurture me as much as wow. she can. And it wasn't her fault. It really wasn't anyone's fault. It was just about taking responsibility, being mature about it, and just listening from a place of what can I do to make things better for you? You have done so much for me to try to instill these skill sets in me and it just didn't work out. Not for anyone's fault. It just didn't work out. Sometimes things Fun. just don't go the way you plan them to go. And, um, so as soon as we had that, you know, once we finally like did all the, you know, the nitty gritty talk of, you know, she was super nice about it and she really appreciated me um, acknowledging her experience and appreciated me also. I think I really also appreciated her who she was as a mom. You know, I thought it was super, super impressive that, you know, she was, she just had this baby and, you know, we, she went right back to work and wow. she was just so into work and she was doing her very, very best to not only be a new mom, but she was also trying to 
kind of parent me into how to do the job. I really respected the hell out of her for that. I still huh. do. And so, um, I told so you, her that. I was going to say, but you, you, you left, like, you know, you leave on a Monday and like you, you start, like, where, where do you go from there? You know? I left on a Monday. I, uh, we left on amicable amicable terms I called my mom as soon as I got out of the cafe I said mom it's gonna happen I really feel like I'm getting ready to start this dog business because the so more been, I think you've been, about you've it been thinking about it I was thinking about it because literally right before I came in to meet her I actually bumped into some I was walking my own dog and I bumped into some neighbors and they were like oh hey can your dogs play with my dog and I was like oh yeah okay fine I'm like running into a meeting and I said, oh, are you the owner? And they're like, no, I'm the dog walker. I was like, okay, tell me what that is. And they're like, oh, I work with dogs all day. I work for this company. It's really, really great. I was like, whoa, okay, that's a thing? Oh my God. So I was like, and as soon as I had my dog in the city, because you know, like when I went to college, my dog was with my dad. So by the time I moved to the city, got my dog back, I just realized like how many people in New York City have dogs. I was just like blown away by that. Um, So I, at that point, I got a little taste. I scratched the surface into what the dog industry or the pet care industry really looked like. I knew that there were people doing it for like companies like Rover and Wag. And then um, right before that meeting, I had met someone who was doing it professionally for like a private company. Mm. And that's when I really learned, okay, this is a thing. And then after I had that meeting with my boss. She even asked me, she's like, what are you going to do after this? I said, I'm going to start a dog business. And she wow. said, I think that's a great idea. Wow. A great idea. Cause she, she loves dogs. You know, she had dogs herself. So, you know, like she totally knew that we had that connection. You know, that's yeah. another thing about dogs. I love so much. You would people you never think you'd be connected to, but you can be connected to in such an organic way through dogs. And that's why mm. I loved her so much. She was such a great person. She is a great person. And um, so, yeah, like as soon as I left, I called my mom. I said, mom, I feel so liberated. I'm so liberated to be free of this job so I can go start this new job. Literally called my dad the next day, was like, hey, I need help finding names for a business and he was like Barkville because you live in Yorkville and I was like perfect I love it so much and it was really funny I was actually just telling Johnny about this um earlier but um like I said I have no business experience I've never started a business in my life I was like business owner no way we had a major business school uh business program at University of Rhode Island never interested in it um but by the time I really got interested in dogs and doing it as a professional I was like would I want to work for someone else and I was like no I want to work for myself okay what does that look like what do I do I watch the office <laughs> watch the office okay that's an non- interesting uh... I know I know I watch the office non-stop I honestly believe the office taught me everything I need to know about running a business and um there's actually one specific part that really ignited a flame in me I it's if anyone wants to look, it's uh, season five, I believe. I don't know. Are you familiar with The Office at all? I'm not so familiar. I, I unfortunately okay. have not have not watched it fully. I've seen obviously episodes here and there, but I was never like a, a huge, huge uh, Office guy. But I'm also not a big TV guy in general. So 
Oh, okay. Well, if you do get into it, I think you'd actually really appreciate it. Um, it's such a great show. And as silly as it sounds, there was this um, one series of like, there was like a series of episodes in season five where the boss, Michael Scott, he's actually getting a little fed up because he's a regional manager of, you know, a paper company um, for people who watch The Office. And this guy, like, you know, um, what's it called? Corporate, the corporate of Dunder Mifflin sends in a new outside hire to manage Michael Scott. Mm -hmm. And that causes a massive problem for him. You know, Michael Scott, the regional manager, he has a lot, kind of a lot of vanity and he's like, I'm planning my 15th anniversary party. And <laughs> Charles, this new outside manager is like, no, we're going to do everything a traditional office would normally do. But that's not who Michael Scott is. He wanted to be the boss and do things his way as untraditional as they were he always did yeah. things his way and for some odd reason it sometimes landed him to be successful but nevertheless he was he was asked to be to step down from his position to submit himself to this guy who was super traditional and rigid and whatever and he is so fed up and he's trying to reach his Charles's boss, so his boss's boss. He's trying to reach the CFO, someone he had a long-standing relationship with before this new guy came in. Mm -hmm. And he's so fed up because he's trying to reach him, trying to reach him, can't get a hold of him. So he drives to New York from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He confronts his boss and he's like, 15 years, 15 years I've been here. I've been working for you loyally. Um, and you just bring this guy and anytime I try to call you, you patch me through to him. Like, what's up with that? And the CFO is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know what? I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying about the anniversary party. We will give you everything you want so you can have your anniversary party. And Michael Scott takes a second. He, he looks like he's about to take a deal. He's like, no, I quit. He just quits. And now it's up to this new Charles guy to run this office. And what Michael Scott does is he has this like little revelation. You see his like little peanut brain like kind of working and he's just kind of like maneuvering around the office during his last few days. And he decides he's going to start, what is it? A new paper company. <laughs> it's called Michael <laughs> Scott's Paper Company. Nice. And he, he makes this really loud stance in the office and he says, ah, you know, even though it's not okay for him to be doing that, clearly, like, the boss, Charles, is like, yo, you can't be doing that. It stops him on numerous occasions. But finally, Michael Scott stands at the front of the office, takes a final stand, and says, who will join me? And as he's, no one is standing up because everyone's terrified, you know, this is taking place during the recession. No one can afford to lose their jobs. So yeah. he's standing there, He's and he is so defeated because no one will join him. People who have been working for him for 15 years, no one will join him. So he walks out and he thinks he's getting defeated, but no, who stands up? Pam, the receptionist. She's like, you know what? I'll join you because I'm looking for a challenge. I really want to, you know, he, at one point he says, he's standing at the front of the office and he's like, really think about your jobs here. Is this the best you can be? Is, is, don't you want to challenge yourself to something? You know, this is his speech to recruit people into the office. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so empowering. I love that. Like, when's the last time I really gave myself a challenge? So I took that and I loved that lesson. And then he gets even better. He goes on and he recruits 
some guy who used to work for the company as a temp rose up and then defrauded the company, um, recruits him to be part of his team, then recruits this other guy from a telemarketing agency that he used to work at, recruits him to his team, and together they start Michael Scott Paper Company. And shortly as they're doing this, as they're going, as you know, Michael Scott, you start to see a little leadership, a little spunk in him. You start to see him put his goofy goofiness aside and you see that he's actually he's bringing out the big guns he has some really big connections um connections that he's harvested for like for years and he's making these phone calls and you the screen pans back to the office where all the original workers are where charles is and he's struggling he's like who had this company and someone will raise a hand saying like I did. He's like, nope, you just lost them to Michael Scott. What's happening, people? What's happening? Even though this guy oh. has no, even though Michael Scott has no money, you know, he is awkwardly working in what seems to be a closet in, a, in, in the building that he was originally working at, you know, in this, a room, probably no bigger than my apartment. But it seems that he's like making really small strides and is actually winning even though um, his company really doesn't have that much money because they didn't scale the company correctly. But nevertheless, corporate starts to pay attention and they're like, mm. wow, I think we might be in trouble because he just took Dunder Mifflin's biggest client without them, right from under them because huh. this guy, Michael Scott, has something about him that just cannot be replaced. He's just yeah. an original figure. You know, like you're, you're, the, the as, story. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no it's okay. I, I was, I was just gonna say, you know, the, the the story you're describing and kind of like, you know, your your whole story. It's like, it really makes it apparent. I think people get stuck in these preconceived notions of how businesses operate and how, how society operates. And sometimes it just takes that little break and call it the matrix, right? Like you, you know, you're you're yeah. going through your normal job, right? You have this all of a sudden this, this shift in the paradigm to make you realize that it doesn't have to be like that. And yeah. it's amazing how, you know, we have all of these different mediums around us that kind of highlight this to us, but it doesn't always become apparent until a certain point. So, you know, like this episode, you'd seen it years ago, probably, or you'd seen it a little while before, but Oh, I was sudden, watching that when I was creating my business plan. I was, every moment yeah. it, something was happening. I was like, yeah. Let That's me take this out really quick. Yeah. And then, I mean, the biggest pivotal part of that was towards the very end when um, Michael Scott Paper Company takes enough of a chunk out of the Dunder Mifflin Company. And they're actually, Michael Scott Paper Company unknowingly is actually going bankrupt. Um, but Dunder Mifflin doesn't know that. They're basically going to be called up to negotiations to negotiate with Charles and the CFO, David Wallace. And they're sitting at the negotiation tables. And David Wallace is like, okay, you probably, how about $6,000 to buy you out? And Michael Scott's like, are you kidding me? He's bluffing, but it doesn't matter because he comes to the table and he's like, are you kidding me? $6,000? That's so insulting. He was insulted. I, he's like, I'm worth way more than that. And he's like, your company, David Wallace is like, your company can't be worth a lot. I know what this market's like. I know what the recession's doing to us. Like, you can't be making any money. And Michael Scott says with such conviction, he says, my company is worth nothing. 
that's a difference between you and me, David. My company is worth nothing. If Michael Scott Paper Company closes tomorrow, I'll just go out and start another company and another and another and another. Wow. And I just loved that. I just loved that. I gave myself one month to find a client after I saw that. I created a business proposal for myself to send to nobody except myself um, because I didn't have anyone else to work with except myself. And I gave myself one month and I said, maybe this will fail and I'll go back to finding like a job search. Like I promised my dad, I said, I'll give myself one month to find someone, a client. And I go out, I go out. I, yeah, I actually think you met her. Do you remember that big great Dane that I brought to ah, that Stuka in the city party? Yeah, I do he remember that. He was my very first client. That big old 145 pound great Dane wow. became my first client. And after I had that experience with her owner, uh, just talking about you know, I just shared with her what my experience was of acclimating dogs to New York City because I had done it with my own dog. I just kind of showed her that I was really able to handle such a big dog. I was able to acclimate her dog who originally lived in Atlanta, Georgia to New York City. And I Hmm. helped that dog not run into streets. I helped her not drink dirty disgusting water which certain dogs sometimes do for i have no idea why their dogs are gross man i think that's something that we should all remember dogs are super gross so nevertheless like i but i did i did the the groundwork to kind of like nurture this relationship and i really fell in love doing it and after i had that experience of getting my first client i said okay i can do this and even if it fails i'm gonna still go out and try again anyways because I know that I, yeah, I was like, I know this is a good idea. I know I can do more dog walking that is not going to be just mindless. I'm going to create physical and mental enrichment in a, for dogs. Like that's what huh. I committed to doing. I committed to being the extraordinary human that I wanted my dog, that, you know, my dog saw me as. Like that's what I wanted to be. Um, and so that's what I advertised myself as. And, you know, I had this massive dog that I was walking with. Um, she's Miss Molly. She is a show-stopping dog. You know, she's just huge. And people everywhere were just like, is this your dog? Oh my God, she's so lovely. She's so sweet. You know, Molly's this kind of temperament. You can rub up on her. You can jump up on her. Dogs bite her jowls, her big ears and stuff like that. And she'll just kind of like be okay with it. She just takes And that, yeah. And it was, that was like a really big selling point. And I think people thought that maybe I have instilled that in her. I think it was partially her temperament and the fact that me and her had a really comfortable relationship. She really trusted me whoever I was bringing to the park with her, she just always trusted me to um, nurture the relationships that she had with other dogs to make sure that aggressive dogs weren't coming to attack her to make sure that she was comfortable with other dogs. So I really like nurtured the relationships I had between my dogs. And then once people started, you know, asking about Molly, once people learned that I was like walking the big dog, they were just like, Oh, do you do, anything else like do you do overnights do you do uh training and i said 
Yeah. yeah. I do uh, all the above. Whatever you have listed, I sure do it. Um, huh. Did not even have a business card then. Did not even have a website. Literally just gave people my phone number and saw where That's amazing. Me. Yeah, it was. And it ended up to be the most amazing, amazing risk I had ever taken in my huh. life. I, I love how I love how you you kind of like you, you start this idea. You're like, okay, you, you set the intention. I want to try being a dog walker, right? And and then you find a dog to walk, and you kind of like fake it till you make it. You know, you're you're going out with kind this dog, of. and and like yeah, like you're, you know, you're you're a dog walker, but like you're you know, you like you other people. I think a lot of times people uh, they get so caught up in like, oh, how am I going to do this or that? It's like you kind of just have to be and do it and you know, as you're doing it, you may not in your head think, oh, I have a successful dog walking business, but you're walking this big dog that stands yeah. out. And all of a sudden, all these other people, and they hear you're, a dog, you're walking this dog, and they're like, oh, like, this is just your business. They just assume yeah. you have a built out business. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't I have a, you, yeah. an actual business. Like, <laughs> I, know. I do that. I know. And I think people thought that I was better than I was because I had such a big beast on my, like, right next to me um people were either intimidated or they were like really fascinated to talk to me but the truth was i did have a lot of life experiences that i could share with pet owners and that was something that was very different from professionals approaching pet owners like it's actually kind of interesting a lot of the business the pet care businesses that i associate with some of the pet own like some of the business owners don't have dogs like they don't have a dog mm. themselves mm. and i kind of there's nothing wrong with that like they're still amazing trainers but i think what gets lost a little bit is kind of like trying to it's kind of like a parent who has young children talking to like a young woman who hasn't had kids yet like you want there's there's just that little life experience that's missing because you haven't you're just you're just not entirely in the same realm because you don't you're not living with that with that dog every day so there's always going to be a little bit that's not entirely there so when I was approaching pet owners I wasn't really approaching them as a professional I was just approaching them as a caring pet parent I love my dog and my dog had dog walkers and sometimes they were really horrible and mm. my dog also developed some aggressive tendencies because there were things that he was doing on the walk like there was some behaviors he was exhibiting on walks that were actually being neglected and because of that that actually caused so many more behavioral problems on the road for me to address Huh. And it really made me get more into the animal psychology of things, into behavior modification, um, not only for my dog, but for other dogs as well. And that's the most amazing thing about training. And this is something I tell people um, every time I get into a training session, this information you have, I know you paid and committed a lot of money to be here with me today, but the information you are getting is priceless because every dog you have, this, this lesson will be applicable to this, to whatever dog you have in life. Big, small, aggressive, non-aggressive, cuddly, timid, you know, everything I teach you, it's, it's going to go a very long way. 
and they always say, like trainers always say, like, because, you know, this is my first dog, Luki's my first dog, and I'm always like, ah, why does he have so many behavior problems? And people are like, it's because he's your first dog. Second dog will be much better because you'll know what to do. It's kind of like oh. parents who are on their second kid. They're like, oh, yeah, babysitter. Got it. Over. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, my, 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 my younger sister definitely agrees with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I think... I think what's apparent, you know, I think every business requires relationship building in some form to build Absolutely. a client base, right? But what's, what's, what's particularly fascinating about your business, and I think what, what to me would strikes me as a differentiation factor for someone like you is that you, know, you, you seem to, not only you have a genuine relationship with these, these dog owners, but you form these amazing relationships with the actual dogs. Um, oh, and, and I yeah, think that's I such a cool it. element about what, what you're doing. I'm curious, you know, you, you've been doing it now for a few years. You're, you're 24 now? Uh, 25. 25. Okay. So you're 25 yeah. year old. You own a business now for a few years. You know, what, what has been the biggest lesson that you have learned? And I guess what, what that, and also what, what's going to propel you to the next stage of your, of your career growth, do you think? So the thing that I learned the most is that, and this is actually something I learned from the job before I started this business, is that no one wants to be criticized. It's always better to approach people from a desire to want to help, not motivated by, I wasn't ever motivated by money, although it was something that I needed, but ultimately I really wanted to give people a sense of peace. I wanted people to um, have that loving relationship that they had always envisioned with their dog. And it was okay. I wanted people to know that it was okay, that they didn't know how to do something. Ultimately, when you get a dog, this little being, kind of going back to my Fiji experience, you have to remember these little beings that you adopt into your home have a completely different worldview and communication style and paradigm of understanding. And we need to be responsible for that. So I think the biggest thing that I learned was that no one wants to be ridiculed. And it's not really in your position to ridicule people for the decisions that they make because sometimes they just function out of what everyone else is doing. And there's a lot of bad trainers out there. And there's a lot of big businesses that capitalize on the pet industry and they just mass market to people. I look at companies like Rover and WAG and, you know, in the past like five years, they've lost so many dogs because they don't vet their people appropriately. Mm. So the thing that I, I never shame people for things that they're doing. You listen from a, a I think listening from a stance, uh, from a standpoint of just wanting to help it goes a long way. And if there's anything that I think is going to propel us into the next step is just education, 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 education. The more you know, the more well-rounded you'll see your training experience and the more contextual understanding you'll have for your dog. You know, a lot of people, the biggest issue they have in New York City is just walking on a leash. Why? Why does dogs have such a hard time walking on a leash? There's a 
bus going by. The grates have like hot air coming out of them. <laughs> oh my God. And no one ceases to be on. intimidating. But for dogs, you know, dogs have like 3,000, like 3 million nose receptors in their hmm. little stinky nose. This little nose that just puts this, like, oh, it's just literally goes yeah it's just like everywhere 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 and i have a beagle so my beagle was like in every piece of trash he saw on the street and yeah. you beagle have to oh my god so tough <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so like but i didn't understand why my dog was picking up garbage until i understood oh my god this is his nature this is his little nature trying hmm. to tell me hey I don't really know the rules of walking. I don't really know that I'm not supposed to run into the street. Can you like, and then I was like, maybe I should start teaching dogs to sit at corners, you know, just like things like that. Just educating people where that, even if they don't need me, it's okay because the job is done. I have now given them a tool that will help them excel in their dog training with their dog. And it'll also create warmer relationships with their dogs you know we do a lot of service dog training for some of our clients and i have to say that's probably been one of the most rewarding experiences to be part of you know mm. to see that like we can help people people who are dealing with mental illness physical disabilities and give them a source of of encouragement to just keep going it's just such a beautiful thing to be part of so where i see us going is we're going to do more service dog training we're going to keep educating ourselves to be the best that we can be i hired two amazing trainers who are both you know service dog trainers and just like amazing amazing skilled people overall um i give a huge 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 shout out to them and thank them for just joining me and being on this journey with me um, Rich and Kaylin, they're just such amazing humans and individuals. And I um, yeah, I love it too. I just love, I just want to keep building this community. So we're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep building and we're going to keep it's, growing it's and different people are going to join in at different times and it's going to be different and diverse. And maybe one day it'll be about exercise and one day it'll just be about mental enrichment. And Maybe Johnny will get in on the action at some point. I don't know. There's all sorts of directions. I love it. I love the use of the word community. And, and I think that community has become much more of like a, a trendy idea and, and word that's thrown around today. But, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, uh, it's highly important uh, that, that people feel connected, especially in, in a real way, given that, you know, there's so many points of connection that we have today, it seems like. Absolutely. But, but really, how connected are people? And, and I think what's interesting about your business, you know, you said Barkville before, referencing Yorkville on the Upper East Side. It's like, it's, it's local. Um, yes. And it's, it's really built around the people. So I, I have a lot of respect for it. The one last question, you know, I, I think there's a lot of questions uh, you can answer about your business that would be helpful <laughs> for people. But I think the one, the one thing looking back on it so far, like what's the biggest challenge been? Like, you know, what, or, or what, what would you have wanted to know starting a business day one that you obviously had to figure out at some point, but you know, if someone had told you would have saved you a lot of hours, a lot of headache. And obviously I preface that I, just to preface that, you know, I, I myself started my own business as well, right. Being a mortgage yeah. broker, but like, you know, 
there's a certain element of you have to just do it to, to, to actually get better and to grow through it. And like, you need those painful experiences and there's no, there's no avoiding the hard work, but what's something you think that people could really benefit from, from maybe keeping in mind beforehand or asking the right question now, um, if they're thinking about starting a business? I would say, uh, I think the biggest challenge Honest for me, the biggest challenge was hiring people, was finding people worthy enough to do the job. Because at the end of the day, I have awesome dogs. You know, my dogs, um, you know, they're not, they're not, they're amazing dogs. You know, by the time I was hiring people, I had maybe, I was walking about 10 to 15 dogs a day it was a lot I was walking like 10 10 miles a day every day so like five days a week so when it was time to hire people that was where I faced the biggest challenge a lot of Mm. people are just like I love dogs it's like cool what are you going to bring that's going to ensure me that you're never going to lose a dog that you're never going to lose someone's keys that you're never going to negatively hurt my dogs because you're having a bad day. And that's where I found out. That's when I learned that there were a lot of people who really just wanted a job and they thought it was cute that they can work with little puppies all day. And they thought that that was what it was going to be like. And then they come to Molly's house and there was this 145 pound dog. That's a large dog. That's who pulls, who you know, occasionally will lure you into the street, you know, there's like some (laughs) real liability that you got to take into consideration. You're taking care of what another pet owner is considering to be their baby. The same way I thought of when other dog walkers took my dog, that's my kid. If you, if there's something wrong and you're not telling me about it, that's a big, big problem for me. I love my dog and I love those dogs like my kids and anyone who's going to deal with my kids, wow. they are going to be the best of the best. And the truth was the first people I hired weren't, they were just available and they were, they just love dogs and they love dogs in the same way that I did. And there was a, once again, that organic connection that caused that to be so, but what I was learning as I was proceeding with those dogs is that they started developing behavior issues. Why was that happening? Because there was misconduct in times that, you know, no, like the communication was not there. And I was actually working with someone who was much, much older than mm. me. And it was very, very hard to find the dynamics. You know, she was like my dad's age when I say much, much older than me. Um, yeah. She was like a, re- she was, she was let go of her position. Um, she was really, really friendly at first, really sweet at first, really good, you know, walk the dog in her building um, and had experience with it. But again, as I would, you know, as we would rotate through the dogs throughout the day, I noticed that there were things that were going wrong. And at certain points, I also noticed that she was trying to take advantage of my financial situation and ask for more and more money. She's like, I'm older, big dogs, I can't really deal with them. And I'm like, well, I specialize in extra large dog care. What can I give you? It was very, very hard to deal with her as nice as I tried to be and as much as I tried to work with her. You know, there's just some people who just are not the right fit. And 
respect. That was yeah. the hardest. That was really the hardest time in my life because I didn't want anyone to be coming near my kids if they were not going to be the real deal, if they weren't going to take responsibility for the, the mistakes that they made. And that was really a big problem for me. So once right. that happened, I moved on to new people. I, I, re I respect the, the passion. You know, you could, you could tell you're, you're very passionate about what you do uh, and you yes. really love what you do. And, <laughs> and, and I think that translates into a, a great respect for the animals you work with, but also for the people that are, that, are, that own those animals and, and, and oh are really God, relying on you. They're the best owners. So, they're the best owners. Amazing. I mean, I you're, definitely you're invite you to join my, to like, we do have a community. The dogs kind of have play dates with each other. It's kind of like little preschool. Like parents are like, oh, you walk with Maya too. Oh, cool. Like maybe our dogs should have play dates. My group of clients are definitely like a community. I'm still trying to find that one way where I can bring them all together. But yeah, I definitely invite whoever's interested to come be part of my community. Come meet That's my awesome. dogs. They're amazing. They're As adorable. You heard it here. Maya is inviting you to come play with some very fun, cute, in some cases, large dogs <laughs> on the Upper East Side. Um, you know, I'll, I'll teach I'll you sure how to interact with them. And, and, and you're getting a free lesson. <laughs> uh, I'm going to include her, her contact info in the event in the uh, podcast description. Uh, if you, if you care to reach out to her, Maya, uh, you're, you're definitely a rising Titan. You're a very young business owner. I, I really respect your hustle and your passion. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your wisdom and, uh, you know, look forward to watching you grow in the future.